just have to have a really good infrastructure for them to fall into. Because otherwise, without an infrastructure, who else do you yeah. rely on other than your doctor? Right. And I think, too, for, for normal family practice type of physicians, they need something like this to reach out to extend their patients toward. Because unless they have an interest in nutrition or an interest in, in exercise mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, there is nothing that they learn in their standard education that makes them at all adept at talking people through these kind of holistic um, big questions and, and voids that people have. Mm -hmm. I mean, to this day, I had a lady last week telling me she was at the James getting her chemo and someone's walking through the room with a big plate of cupcakes. Welcome to the Lively Joy Podcast. Learn how to live your best life with host Sherry McDonald. She believes that every person has the right to be healthy and have a life that they love. Sherry, along with her guest, will help you live your best life by talking about everything from the latest health topics, how to find your passion, longevity, so you can live your best life longer, shifting your mindset, and more. And now, your host, Sherry. Welcome to another episode of Lively Joy. I'm honored today to have our guest, Dr. Melinda Cooksey-Bicos. Melinda started college as a dance major and ended up on a path that made her a three times graduate of Ohio State University. Her undergraduate degree became a personalized study program and physiology of human movement. Today, she is going to be talking about integrated healthcare and the sixth domain model, which is knowledge, beliefs, biology, mechanics, mind, body, and energy. So Melinda, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Well, I'll start back a while ago so that it all has some context. Um, but um, I'm about 25 years into being in private practice at this point, but it started, um, uh, I started college as a dance major and really was a mover and was more into arts and um, found out early in college that I was dyslexic, which made sense with why I was never good at math. And um, and then ended up having a dance injury um, my sophomore, late sophomore year of college. And back in those days, the registrar's office was on paper and somehow a mistake got made that I got into the PT athletic training anatomy class, which was an undergrad cadaver based anatomy class. And so I thought it would be good to take anatomy while I was off dancing for a quarter because of my injury and realized that I was really good at anatomy, that despite always being told that I should stick to my art and my science and, or my art and my dancing and not really be a science person, that like I could really be successful in this extremely challenging weed out class for those athletic trainers and PTs. And so that just took a whole course of change for me because I cared about the body and movement and I never had all that language of what to call things and how they related to each other. And so I became super fascinated with anatomy as a discipline and wrote up um, an undergrad program that came to be called the Neuropsychology and Physiology of Human Movement that was out of the dance department and anatomy and athletic training and physical therapy and psychology and education, I think, in there too. Um, and so in all of that, I started becoming very interested in fascia. And um, because I was still pretty in the middle of my undergrad experience, I got to do a lot of 
dissecting pre-graduate school. And before I even um, started graduate school, I was being paid to do full body dissections. And that allowed me to move away from the traditional way that a dissecting manual tells you to get into the body and find things and instead just to start exploring and following tissue planes and, and you know, finding something curious and tracing that structure versus just trying to like open a window to get into the body. And so I would be given a list of structures that needed to be visible for the students to see and a timeline. And then I was left alone in the lab to make that happen. Um, and that really allowed me just to explore fascia in a way that nobody that I knew was doing. This would have been like the late 90s. And so when I started graduate school, I was super clear that I wanted to study fascia and lymphatics because those were the two things that were just always different in people. You know, at the end, you dissect down a cadaver and they look like a muscle chart and some muscles might be bigger or smaller and blood vessel calibers different, bigger or smaller or something. But the fascia and the lymphatic structures were just always night and day different. And a body that took me 75 hours versus one that took 150 hours, the difference was all about fascia and lymphatics. And um, so I remember so clearly trying to pitch that to the graduate committee and the anatomy program, and nobody got why I would want to study fascia and lymphatics. And um, I'm just so grateful that they let me because then, you know, 10 years later, you have the first fascia research conference at Harvard. And um, ever since then, there's been a really amazing international community of people um, researching and, you know, really doing just, you know, very um, hard science inquiry into fascia. And then in 2015, it actually became declared as a system of the body. So similar to the muscular system or the skeletal system or the nervous system or digestive system, it's official that your fascia is its own system at this point. And so it's just been a really fun time to, to play, um, in that arena, kind of like the last frontier of gross anatomy a little bit. So are you still doing like dissections and, and really studying it or are you pretty much been there? Yeah, I spent 10 years teaching. Um, so got through graduate school and then taught for 10 years and um, had real issues being successful in academia. I'm not a terribly political person and um, I'm, not interested in learning that game I learned. And so academia was not a great place for me. And I, I was sort of starting to realize the business of academia and really struggling with students that I was advising, taking out their full undergrad student loan allotments and not having degrees and students that couldn't pass my class that I didn't have the autonomy to not allow them to come back in. Um, and just realizing that academia is a business and they want tuition dollars. And it was more important for me to show up and be the vehicle for delivering curriculum so they could get tuition dollars versus like really mentoring students. And, and uh, that was tough. So I decided um, that I needed to not continue on my tenure track with teaching and um, uh, quit 
and then found out that I was pregnant with our first kid like a week later, which, wow. which was, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't find out the other way because I think I might have been like, oh, I need my benefits and my, my security and my retirement. Yeah, right. But um, in the same note, I also couldn't have continued to teach what I was teaching and I didn't love teaching. I love teaching gross anatomy. So I don't want to teach biology 101. I don't want to teach physiology. Like I'm not there, like, but gross anatomy, I'm super passionate about. So I haven't been in a lab since then. So we're talking 12 years ago, 13 years ago now. I'm not sure I would. There's been some interest in maybe doing continuing education courses and things like that. But there's a lot of people that do that now. And, um, I think there's like a demand for a little bit of like, you want to have a guru status, like you want to, you have to want to have a following. And I'm not sure we need more certifications and weekend workshops and ways to study. Like there's a lot of those out there already. And um, I feel like I've settled into my practice as my full-time work in, it was part-time work for the first I don't know, 15 years in the last 10, for sure. It's been my job, my full job job. Um, but, um, but I don't know that teaching providers is where I feel like I can make the biggest impact. I think that when I work effectively with people and then they go talk to their providers, that begins the conversation of a more holistic intervention. And I love Originally, I thought I could teach medical students and healthcare providers and teach them a more holistic version of gross anatomy. And that would make them more holistic, more integratively positioned providers when they became professionals. But I don't think that happens. You know, they have preceptorships and they're indoctrinated into all these things in the years that follow their, their learning that I don't know how you take that back. And I think likewise, teaching continuing education courses and things, you have a bunch of people that are already indoctrinated into being whatever professional they've stepped into being. And I don't know that I feel, unfortunately, like I can make a big impact with providers, but it's amazing to watch what happens when a physician sees that their patient's getting better and starts to wonder why. And then you can help them realize that it's because of this team that people have. Yeah. And then that's the other really big part of it is that fashion and lymphatics have shown me the whole time that I always have to be part of somebody's team. There's not a single person in my 25 years that I could take any credit for single-handedly like showing the way. It's such a narrow sliver of their whole puzzle that um, I do so much work with team building and how do, do people have the right people on their team and are you spending your money and your time in the right places and like do you have a integrated network of, of, of whatever it needs to be that's helping support you through this and so that then grew in really early on to me really wanting to study that part you know that in my hands-on practice I feel very effective helping people with fascia and lymphatics but that's not the answer for anybody in its totality. And so then um, I wrote up a doctoral program in integrative medicine and um, finished out my 15 years at Ohio State. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just they didn't want to leave. Um, 
doing that program um, in integrative medicine so that I really feel like, again, a little bit before it was a thing, I remember at the time they wanted me to call it alternative medicine. And I was like, well, it's, it's not an alternative medicine. This is integrative medicine. This is about how do people have a physician and have surgeries and have diagnoses and have pharmacy and also still have mind-body techniques and energy techniques and mechanical interest and know what they're talking about and, you know, have a holistic framework. And so that's then the whole other side to, um, to me professionally is, is helping hopefully before my career's out really put some firm infrastructure in place so that integrative healthcare is a real thing that it's not just something that people talk about, that there's a there's an infrastructure for it, that people who don't know what it is know where to find it. You know, like if you've never taken aspirin before, you know what it is and you know where to go to find it and you know who the pharmacist is to talk to about it. Um, and all across healthcare, we, we, we have those points of access that at least people know what to do. I think in general, people are interested in a more holistic care strategy for themselves they don't, they ask their neighbor who they get a massage from, or, you know, like these real hodgepodgey things that that's not a network. And if you have a really serious health concern, that's not enough. And so, um, so then the whole other side has turned into a nonprofit and like the all life center where we met, you know, that was a, first there was the center for integrative medicine at Ohio state. And that was, I think, 2000, three, maybe that we opened there. And that showed me that we can't do integrative medicine in an academic medical environment. It's not integrative. And so it can't be integrated. And that was good to learn early on. And then the All Life Center happened about 10 years later. And um, I really wanted to try to do that in the structure of a cooperative. It seemed like a good business model for a different kind of healthcare. And um, that fell apart more because of the property owner and sewer plans and eminent domain issues and things like that. Um, But it was a great way to experiment for five years with like, can this kind of work? And there was things about it that hopefully we're going to move forward and make work again. I'm so glad you're talking about that because even though I, I was just on your website and, you know, I've known you for a long time, I never really understood exactly what what that even even reading it but when you're saying it i understand how you're trying to get people to work together because i have plantar fasciitis right now Mm -hmm. and it's really painful so i'm like who do i go to and i thought of you because of the fascia fascia Mm -hmm. you know i'm like i call belinda well i'm going to be seeing her so but but then there's somebody tell me about you know mat muscle activation technique Mm -hmm. and there's you know acupuncture which i used to go to one. I haven't been to one for a long time, but there's so, so many ways to go, but it's, it's really confusing. Like you almost need a person in the center to tell you, you might want to try this first or, you know, so you don't have to go to 10 people and you're still not fixed. You know what I mean? So I think it, you know, that makes sense to have, you know, some place where you can go and maybe, maybe find out about something that's helped somebody else or. Right. And I think, too, we need to get back to having you actually be the one that's in the center of that. But then that's a huge responsibility, especially when you're not feeling well. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it needs to be, you know, where, yes, you're in control of all that and you're the one that it pivots around. But it's also not this huge burden 
physically and emotionally and cognitively to put that together. Because usually when people realize that they need that support, they're already really in need of that support. And that's where it seems important to me to have something that's very obvious and in the community that people know it's there. And even if they don't know quite why they need it, it's kind of like the red cross or something like you don't know you need the red cross until maybe you have a house fire. Right. And all of a sudden like, Oh my gosh, this is why the red cross is in my community. Or you don't know you need the food bank until you find yourself unable to purchase food for your family. And then all of a sudden you understand why that food bank exists. And so all of those kind of felt services that we have in place, we just don't have that for integrated healthcare. And we just, it it needs to exist. I think the healthcare system is so screwed up at this point that it used to be to me about like, how can we fix this? And so doing it within the silo of Ohio state made a lot of sense. You know, if we can, fix something within the microcosm of Ohio State, then maybe we can really fix it. And we tried to fix their health plan. We tried to mm-hmm. fix in uh, family medicine. And we tried to fix all sorts of things. And ultimately, fixing is a horrible effort. I'm not sure fixing ever worked in community building, you know. Right. Um, but so I think we're in a time right now that we can create something alongside that let that whole system, let the whole hospital industry do what it's doing and create just something that can supplement that to the side and be its own, um, be its own real force in the community. Um, to what you were saying a moment ago, though, like, how do people figure it out? One of the things that we started doing really early on was trying to put teams together for people. Um, and the first center that I had, which OSU acquired to turn into their center for integrated medicine, I think most of what they thought they were purchasing was this team building uh, method that we had where we would use at that point, we used the four domains that the National Institutes of Health had instated or I don't know, funded. They, well, they, they named them and then they started funding them in the late nineties when they started funding complementary and alternative medicine. And they called out four primary domains of, um, I forget exactly what they called them, but we call them mechanics mind, body, energy, and biology. Are we going to be talking about those? Yeah, we can talk about that right now if we want. Um, And so that was NIH's first like expression of these things are important. So energy is a thing. And there's people out in the community that are getting energy work. So we're going to fund research into energy work. And or, or, you know, similarly with mechanical things or biological things or mind body things. Um, and those were the domains that NIH recognized and funded in the late 90s. And so my first center, that, that was the framework that we used. We believe that everybody should have care in all four of those domains. Um, and we tried to help them do that. And then it became clear over the years since, though, that we were sort of missing the beliefs piece um, and a piece about knowledge that even if you were dabbling in these four domains, if you didn't know what you were dealing with, it just wasn't going to be effective. So like if you have a diabetic that's willing to show up for Reiki and personal training and take some supplements and do some meditating, well, they're ultimately still gonna be a diabetic unless you help them learn what is diabetes? How do you, like what role do you have in this process? And the more you know, the more you can, do something with that. You know, do you know what medications you're taking? Do you know why you're taking them? Um, Do you understand your disease process? Do you know what your numbers should look like? 
that that was really important. And so like back up on acupuncture and Reiki, if the person can't even understand their diagnosis at hand. So we added a fifth domain of knowledge. And then we added a sixth domain of beliefs and the idea that it's not that you have to believe something in particular, but you have to know what you believe. If people don't have a basic premise about where life and health comes from, I don't ultimately believe that they're going to live a very healthy and vital life. Can we break that down and go through each one of those and yeah. just talk? I know you're starting to talk a little bit, but mm -hmm. starting at the beginning and then um, talk a little bit about each one of those because each one of those are interesting. Yeah. And what I think you find too is that there's some that each person naturally gravitates towards and understands in a real intuitive way and, and incorporates in an intuitive way. And there's almost always at least one of them that people are completely avoidant of or, or, or just didn't realize was something that they should incorporate. And do you think sometimes that people are just, they don't want to take the time or the effort that it takes to, to go, um, to look into these different things because they go to their doctor and their doctor says, do this, take these medications. So they don't, they just listen to their doctor because it's easier that way. I mean, I think there's some of that, but there's a degree of suffering that people hit where you just start asking questions that are out of the box. And, um, and that's where I think we just have to have a really good infrastructure for them to fall into because otherwise without an infrastructure, who else do you yeah. rely on other than your doctor? Right. And I think too, for, for normal family practice type of physicians, they need something like this to reach out to extend their patients toward because unless they have an interest in nutrition or an interest in, in exercise mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, there is nothing that they learn in their standard education that makes them at all adept at talking people through these kind of holistic um, big questions and, and voids that people have. Mm -hmm. I mean, to this day, I had a lady last week telling me she was at the James getting her chemo and someone's walking through the room with a big plate of cupcakes. Oh. And this happens there often. Yeah. They had a candy bowl at Halloween time. Yeah. And sad. you'll have lots of oncologists that will still say there's no connection between food and cancer. And whether they're right or they're wrong is not even so much the point. But if the person believes that, like, I do think there could be a tie here. And I'm going to feel really empowered by eating to help save my life then that person should have a very easy door to walk through right. where they can approach that. And that's where we just, again, don't have that or who's credible or who, whatever, you yeah. know, I, I, I get that. Yeah. And we saw that with, at, at all life, which was, I mean, this is a little hopping around, but where by the end there, we had over 180 providers that supported the organization. A lot of them were not people I would feel comfortable calling my colleagues. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of them completely lacked any actual training. Many of them were brand new. It was like they, they got their certification, they printed up a business card, and they came to All Life to be part of that community to help get their footing professionally, which isn't bad. Right. But I'm not as passionate about incubating young healthcare providers as I am about helping patients that need healthcare. I think obviously there's room for both, and I envision an organization that could do both really beautifully. Um, but as far as where I, where my heart naturally always falls, I want to be sure that people have reputable, ethical, awesome 
caring providers and that they can find them really quickly, um, which didn't exactly happen in that way. So with the nonprofit now, um, providers can be nominated into the organization. When they're nominated, the person has to explain a little bit about why. And then we do a little bit of vetting just to be sure that we've never heard anything contrary to this, that yes, the person seems to be who the nominator, the, 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 is that a word nominator? The, the person making the nomination um, that, and then you notify the provider. And so we have, I think just a little over a hundred providers that are listed. Um, the new organization is Integrate Columbus. It's integratecolumbus.org. Um, but we have those providers listed there with the hope that like, if you want to find somebody for nutrition, there's quite a few people listed there. And these people have all been nominated based on our value statement mm -hmm. of, of being in alignment with these patient-centered, community-centered practice values. Um, and we vetted them just a little bit to be sure that it seems like they should be there. And we can also take them down in a heartbeat, you know, if we right. were ever um, to hear anything contrary. And mm -hmm. although that's not happened yet. Yeah. Um, but that seems like an important shift too. But again, there's just no right way to do it. And so we're trying to figure that out. If, if integrated healthcare is something the community wants, how do you help them have easy access to that, but not just easy access to a list of people, but easy access to really awesome people that can help move them forward. And that's tough when everybody's in private practice and in their own business and, um, yeah. you know, holistic it's healthcare is a different business model than hospital-based or group-based healthcare. So let's talk about this sixth domain model. Which one interests you most? We'll start there. Uh, let me see. I don't know which one interested me the most. Let's see what I have here. Um, beliefs, I guess. So beliefs is less modality-driven. Like there's not so much services as there is a basic understanding of, um, so it's kind of two parts. I think it certainly involves the spiritual piece people, particularly when they're dealing with really scary illnesses, um, it's important that they have some awareness of what their spirituality is around that. And whether they're an atheist or any of the other belief systems that are out there, it's really important that people know what they believe. Again, if you don't know what you think about how life started in the first place, it becomes an interesting challenge when you're trying to save your life and the incongruence there if people don't have an appreciation of their beliefs becomes really obvious when you're trying to help put a team together for people that if they don't have a basic belief system, it becomes very hard to help them understand what they believe will make them well. And there's lots of variations of what will make you well. You know, we really try not to, as we talk about the six domains, not say like, well, I think you should have acupuncture, but I think you need to do something that works with energy. And what that is, is going to be very different for somebody based on what potentially their spiritual beliefs are. So the idea, one part of beliefs is just, do you know what your spiritual beliefs are? And it's just that, like, do you know what they are? Do you have conviction for what you believe? And do you know what you believe? And then the other part of it is similar to all that, but in relationship just to healthcare. Do you know what your healthcare philosophy is? We are uh, indoctrinated and saturated with an allopathic healthcare model in our country. And so allopathy is the art of symptom and response treatment. And 
that for some people is their whole paradigm. They believe that if X, then, then Y, if this is wrong, then I do that. It's a one for one. I have this symptom. I treat it in this way. If my hip hurts, show me the stretch to do. If my head hurts, show me the pill to take. If show me what to do so that I can make this symptom better. And there isn't an interest in what underlies that symptom. And if that's the way you think about the world and life, that clarifies a whole lot of things about how we might want to put your team together. If, if your paradigm is an inherently allopathic one, asking you to dive into an Ayurvedic paradigm mm -hmm. is just outright crazy. <laughs> and, you know, Ayurveda is asking people to look at rhythmicities in your own body and in the, in the gear and looking a lot in ritual during your day and nutrition and what you take in and what you put on yourself and how you surround yourself and your environment. And it's a much more holistic way of looking at health. Um, and then of course there's Chinese medicine and homeopathy, chiropractic, osteopathy. Um, they're all different. And I guess one in there that I hear a lot that's become really common is the difference between an MD, a basic medical doctor and an osteopath or a DO. And they both go to medical school. The difference in curriculum isn't huge even really. Usually like back when I was in school, it was something around 20 hours that went toward manual like osteop osteopathic manipulation or awareness versus pharmacy. Um, and it used to certainly be that um, the osteopath schools were way easier to get into. And so I think it sort of made it uh, for a long time that I feel like it's shifting, um, people really felt like an MD was a smarter doctor than their DO, which nowadays I hear it the other way a lot. People prefer a DO because they'll put their hands on them. A DO touches their patients mostly all the time. They want to feel how things are. I mean, you can go to an MD appointment and never, it's why telehealth worked so great during COVID for a lot of physicians. Like they never touch their patients anyway. So what difference does it make if you're through the screen? That's interesting. I didn't know the difference. And then you get chiropractic and homeopathy and naturopathy. And these are all different belief systems about where health comes from. And it seems important that if people are going to embark on a really holistic healthcare journey, that they need to know which of those they're willing to believe in or just inherently do or don't. Yeah, I, I made a couple notes here. Uh, one of them was, um, is it related to an experience that they had, their belief system, or could it be age related? Because I think a lot of people that are 50 plus or 60 plus have a different belief system than a lot of the younger mm -hmm. people have. So I think I, I thought that was the most interesting yeah. about the beliefs. And bringing that into it is just paramount. You know, yeah. I mean, again, I think we can sit and we can talk about like acupuncture would be good or here, think about these supplements or go to this osteopath and get adjusted or, you know, all these things can happen, but particularly the, the more life changing the illness or the diagnosis or the goal, um, the, the more it becomes important that people know what they believe. Okay, so the other one, um, biology. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so when you get into like the 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 core four, you know, the biology, mind, body, mechanics, and energy. Again, those all really grew out of the National Institutes of Health's awareness that people were using these modalities, and so we better start understanding how safe they are, how much of a role they might actually have in people's health. 
So biology is um, from an alternative medical side, it's going to be um, supplements and vitamins and um, nutrition, um, all the IV kind of therapies that are available now. From an integrative medicine standpoint, this is pharmacy. And I think from an integrative medicine standpoint, which I think, I think at this point we should all be talking integrative medicine, not alternative or right. any yeah. of those other words. Um, it's fundamental. There's a lot of like CBD is a really good example. You can get CBD in your coffee. And if you're taking a statin, it's counterindicated to take CBD. Like how many people who are out there taking a statin right now know that they shouldn't be using CBD salves? Probably and stuff not like very that. many. Not very many. Right. I mean, from what I understand reading the, the literature, you can predict that your cholesterol is going to increase if you are taking a statin and using CBD products regularly. That's scary and weird. And we should all know this, right? I didn't know that. And this is where integrative medicine becomes just, that is so important. Biology isn't just like, oh, here's all these alternative things that you can put in your body, but your biology as a whole, all of the things that affect your biology and your chemistry and your physiology how are those all working together to make you healthier? Yeah, and I said I was seeing that as environmental factors and sleep and exercise, and I put down here self-care, taking time to do it, and having a plan because sometimes if you don't plan it, it's not going to happen. Absolutely, you get busy with your life and you don't think about those things. And yeah, you, you know, even researching, you know, your medications and what you should and shouldn't be eating yeah. or taking right. with your medications. But I think it's all part of a plan that right. you need to have if you right. have. Problems. And stress response and exactly. understanding if you're under a lot of stress, well, what can I do? And I was just only talking about supplements and things that you take, but right. right. You brought up those other really important ones, exercise, sleep, environmental factors, you know, are you exposed to mold or radon or, you know, your work environment or whatever that might be. And those things are all, are all huge. Yeah. And, and again, look, looking at them as a whole domain of importance, um, is just, I think, the right way to do it, to be sure. I mean, your stress response is no more important than the supplement that the chiropractor is giving you. But if all of those things can work together and you can appreciate how, wow, my stress level is really high, maybe I could use these self-care techniques or these supplements or eat in these ways to help support my stress. That's the kind of integrative mindset that I hope we can start helping move people into. And I think you talked about knowledge. Yeah, we said quite a bit about the knowledge okay. one. Um, and that almost seems intuitive, but I yeah. think it's pretty funny that it took us about six years or it took me six years to officially make that a domain that I started, like that on paper we include when we sit people down and say, okay, here, let's start planning your care. That it took a kind of long time to realize, like, oh, people actually have to know what's going on. And maybe that's just a little bit of the change of times too, where before I think we really counted on our family doctors yes, to sure. take better care of us. And, but that was also back in the day where they knew us. Your family doctor was in private practice. They ran their own business. They went to your own grocery store. You know, their kids went to school with your kids. They would see you and know like, gosh, I, you yeah. don't look well. Yeah. Or they took care of your grandmother and your aunt and your whoever. And that kind of medicine just, it happens, but it's not very commonplace anymore. And yeah. I think that makes it a lot more important that people know what's going on with themselves and keep good records of that. You know, nowadays it's pretty easy to have good access to what your lab values were the last time you had them and 
your family doctor used to be the gatekeeper of all that information. And nowadays with my chart and stuff, it's pretty easy to be your own gatekeeper. Yeah. But it's important it to be your own gatekeeper. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. But I, I do believe that they should spend more time. And there are some doctors that spend time with you mm-hmm. and talk to you. I feel like, you know, when I go see my doctor, I'm in and out. And this questions at her computer, and, you know, I'm answering questions. Mm-hmm. But it's not really looking about the problems that I came in for. Right. You know, so I, I think that happens a lot. The healthcare industry has just moved away from being patient-centered. And that has to be really strange for uh, for clinicians that have been in practice, you know, ones that are retiring out right now because they started in a very different industry than what it's turned into. And I'm not sure how much autonomy they actually have to spend the time that they want. And many are trying, but they're the ones that are still in private practice and trying to find ways to hold on to that. I got a, um, I get this, uh, hospital report newsletter in my email, like every week. And, um, it was just saying the other day that only 24% of physicians, um, it was funny, they called them non-employed, but what that meant was that they work for themselves. Oh. So it was the difference of the employed physicians, which are 70 something percent of all physicians at this point work for large groups or hospitals and only 24% of physicians are privately employed by themselves, wow. which is, uh, it says a lot. Yeah, it does say a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so um, I had a Karen trustee on my um, podcast a couple times ago, oh, and yeah. she talked about vibrational medicine. Yeah. She does it to knee forks. Right. So um, let's talk about energy. energy. It's the one that I see most people tend to avoid, or I guess they either avoid it altogether or they overly cluster there. So there's people that have really felt the value of energy work in their life, and so people who do a lot of energy things. And then there seem to be people that just refuse to accept that that has a role in their healthcare. And either way, I think you need to have that be more rounded out. But there's been research since the late 90s now, again, coming from the NIH, that just shows that energy is a rich and important part of our of our health. And um, it needs to be incorporated. Most of the research has gone along the lines of acupuncture, Reiki, and therapeutic touch. Um, but there's no lack of evidence that it's really important to involve energy systems into healthcare. That is one that really falls back on beliefs. You know, there's some things that based on different belief systems, they just don't seem like appropriate healthcare. But when you look at the energy domain as a whole, again, like some people don't want to take supplements. Some people don't want to take medications. Some people don't want to eat healthy food. But if you look at the biology domain as a whole, there's something in there that you can grab onto to help move your biology in a positive direction. And the energy domains the same way. They're, they're all, all the domains are that way. That there's something in each one and you don't need to do all the things. You can't do all the things, but picking something in there that you can do to move your energy systems forward in a, in a healthier way um, is important there. But that domain includes um, acupuncture, Reiki, therapeutic touch, vibrational healing, um, uh, which includes sound healing, um, polarity. I'm just missing a thousand other things. Yeah, there. and I think it's yeah. becoming more popular, more well-known, and they're seeing the benefits. Mm-hmm. So and I this is it's... a tough one, you know, to the idea of ethics and, and infrastructure, um, that these providers aren't aren't generally trained as healthcare providers. And I think that's another reason why we really have to have something tangible in the community so that 
they can learn how to interact as a healthcare provider and, and learn how to talk to doctors, learn how to interact as part of an integrated healthcare system. And right now, you know, you might get your Reiki training, but that doesn't at all mean that you understand how to go out and be a really positive team player in somebody's health. And I would say, in, well, again, in any domain, but certainly like, I mean, in any, any domain, I don't mean to nitpick any of them, but you, you couldn't believe that you could save somebody's whole world with Reiki. Right. But gosh, it can be just a game changer for certain people. And so it's important that that Reiki provider feels tethered into an infrastructure that supports them and supports the clients that they work with. And that's really lacking right now. Yeah. So hopefully you can change that. We can we're trying. That. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> okay. So I have two, two questions for you. One is, is there a book that changed your life or a book that you would recommend that you feel that really resonated with you? Um, I, 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 you said one, I got to say three. Okay, Keith, Keith Moore is an anatomy author that, um, I think he might not be alive anymore, but would have just passed recently. But as far as anatomy textbooks, like that's the text to read, you know, like for anybody. So boring anatomy text, Keith Moore. Okay. Keith Moore. Then there's a book called leadership and the new science by Margaret Wheatley. And it's a play on like leadership and how to guide an organization and a group of people, which has always been a challenge for me. Um, but it's all layered with quantum theory and um, all of these beautiful ideas and just the idea that um, we need to tap into this like larger interconnectedness to truly like lead ourselves in a better direction. And so I love that book. Um, and then the third is um, Peter Block is an author that writes a lot about community building and um, his book, I think it's just called Community, um, is something that I think everybody I should I think read. you shared those before. You had a book club and you we shared did. We did. We yeah. did the Peter Block book I club. I think I have here. those last two yeah. books and yeah. I don't think I ever read them. Oh, they're so good. So I have to go and, back. And part of what I just love that just makes me get all geeked out in my head, though, is like these, these metaphors between your fascia and it's pieces and parts that are interconnected and interdependent. And as a, as a chaotic system, they all add up to this like brilliantly uh, integrity laden whole. And when you look at community, it's the same thing. You have all these disconnected parts, all these different players and pieces. And if you can get them interconnected in just the right way, it adds up to this like really amazing new thing. And so I just love all the time that the two sides of my professional life, like one of them is pieces and parts and fascia, and the other one is like pieces and parts and community. And the, the metaphor between the two, even though sometimes they feel like completely different conversations all day long, the, the metaphor like is so solid in the middle there. And so, okay. So one other question and um, the blog is really about living your best life. What, what do you think? living your best life would mean? When do you feel like you're living your best life? It can be something small. It can be yeah, something I feel huge. like when you feel integrated, you know, whether it's like in your own home, like you feel wonderfully integrated on your couch with your blanket and your tea. Oh, that sounds you know, nice, yeah. Like that's so yummy. Or you feel integrated with a group of people. Mm -hmm. Or you feel integrated in your movement in a class or in a with a personal trainer. Or but I think that when we feel integrated, we know that we're whole 
And then we also know that we're part of a bigger whole. And so it lands. And even if that's just like a moment, I think chasing those moments and trying to find as many integrated moments is what might add up to living our best life. I think that's perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for having so me. This was really fun to, to talk with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Melinda is offering a free workbook on the six domain models. Uh, you could find that at integratecolumbus.org. And you can also find her contact information in the show notes below. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the Lively Joy podcast. Check out the show notes below with links mentioned in this episode. And please take a moment to subscribe. That helps others find the show. Feel free to share this podcast with your family and friends. And if you'd like, you can also follow us on social media. See the links below. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time with more on living your best life. We'll catch you in the next episode.